Hi, my name is Luke, and this is Inside Industry with IREO, the premier podcast about working with industry to build research partnerships here at WSU. Today, we're interviewing Ahmed Dingra. He is the leader of the Entrepreneurial Faculty Ambassador, and he's also the Interim Chair for the Horticulture Department here at WSU. How are you doing, Ahmed? Uh, good. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Oh, well, thank you for being here. So uh, we'll just get right into it. Can you tell me just a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, went to college, and hobbies? Uh, I actually grew up in New Delhi and was continuing my PhD. was fortunate to get fellowship from the Rockefeller Foundation to come wrap up the last year of my PhD. Uh, that seemed like yesterday, but it's been 21 years ago now. While I was growing up, I really enjoyed music, playing music, taught myself guitar. I did a lot of uh, things that scientists don't usually do which was sculpturing, wood sculpturing, painting, singing, poetry writing. So people used to say, are you sure you're in the right field? You should probably not be in sciences. So that's kind of, uh, and I, I finished all my education there, except for that last year of PhD at Rutgers University. And uh, just very fortunate to continue with some of the goals that I had set up for myself as a young boy. And now I continue to pursue those as a scientist now. Oh, okay. I know you're the head of the Entrepreneurial Faculty Ambassadors, also known as the EFA. What exactly is the EFA? Let me try to give you a little bit of uh, definition. It is not a department. It is not an organization of any kind. This is, this is the whole idea of the EFA. It's a grassroots movement, a community of the, or a coalition of the willing and folks who are really interested in impact. This aligns completely with the university's mission land grant mission of impacting positively our society members. Uh, they could be the general public, you know, just your folks who have nothing to do with agriculture sometimes, but it could it is primarily also uh, focused on a lot of our stakeholders, as we call them, farmers, but industries, other industries. It's all about creating that community of faculty members, staff members, students as well, scientists who come together to really develop solutions to some of the pressing problems that we face today. Now, what is your role as the head of the EFA? The, the role that it has, it has evolved, right? When I took this on in 2017, we were a very like a one-year-old organization. And the way this works is, as I mentioned, this is, a, this is a grassroots community. The role has been to understand what does this community of entrepreneurs or innovators within, within the university want to see us develop into. So my, my role has been one of a facilitator, frankly, trying to understand from the grassroots level, where do we want to go? In fact, I spent my first year having conversations all across the campus, meeting people who have either developed technologies that are being utilized outside the university, or they have potential solutions to some of the global problems, or even people who are just interested in understanding how can they change the impact? How can they impact, or for example, how, how can their work really impact the society? So just understanding from that, and actually all of those conversations kind of resulted in us organizing various activities, which included one of the retreats that we did, campus-wide retreats, basically WSU-wide retreats, where we had, uh, we had over 100 people come in and we kind of identified some of the areas where we as a grassroots community can really ensure that whatever we are doing at WSU really benefits not just faculty, but our, our communities, but also our students who, who get, who are, whose training over here and educational experience becomes relevant, society relevant, and it's transformative for them. Now, how did exactly did you get involved with the EFA? That's another interesting story, and there's a background to this which I think we'll touch upon um, 
uh, as we get deeper into this discussion is, as part of my research output, I had developed some solutions to some of the pressing problems our farmers have. And I was trying to find ways to take that technology in the or provide that to the farmer so that they can start utilizing it. Because we are a publicly funded institution, we want to ensure that the money we get, there's a return on that investment to our communities. And when I saw that there were some roadblocks to doing that, I mean, the current industries, current organizations are rather too busy. So I kind of became an accidental entrepreneur, started a spinoff from my lab. And since I had done that, I also faced certain sort of situations, how to navigate the system that exists at the university. And because of all of that, I got involved. And I think in 2016, there was external evaluation of the research and innovation activities at WSU, where there were experts who came from other institutions, peer institutions, and they provided some feedback. And I think one of the missing pieces was the, the culture to take concepts out from the university to, to really make an impact in the society. I think because of that, this, this EFA program came along. And since I had already been on that part, path, navigated the both the internal and the external world of entrepreneurism and how do you take innovation to market, that's how I got involved with the EFA program. Interesting. What are some of the goals that you have for EFA? Well, EFA started as a faculty-led program, and my my goals that kind of started evolving, uh, coming back, you know, listening to the community, we kind of made it a faculty-led program. And now, as I was mentioning earlier, we have staff members, we have AP, as well as students, undergraduates, and graduates as part of our community already. We've grown from about 17 people initially to over 65 people now. And one of the goals is to really expand this community across different campuses. And the other part is that what we do on Pullman campus may not be applicable on Tri-Cities campus. So the other goal is to customize how this program, how this cultural program, if you will, the culture-based program or grassroots program really takes hold at different locations. At the end of the day, we can all learn from each other. Uh, there might be some uh, examples that we might find, for example, on the west side that are applicable in Pullman. And similarly, what we learn in Tri-Cities may be applicable in Pullman. So, And what we learn at Pullman can be applicable elsewhere. So the idea is to foster a community where we, we can really uh, come together to innovate, to take our concepts outside. That's one part of the whole situation. So the if I were to sum it up, one is to develop a community. The second is to impact policy. At most institutions, you get what you reward. So, so far, entrepreneurial and innovative activities don't usually count towards our scholarly sort of evaluations. So in a way to really change the culture, we also need to change the policy. In fact, in 2018, 2019, I did a sabbatical where I got a chance to visit six institutions, including Stanford University, to understand their cultural ecosystem around innovation and entrepreneurism. And wherever this is, this type of culture exists, it, it exists throughout the system, not just within faculty, but also at the reward level, also at the you know policy level. So in fact, we, we do have two standing committees, one that builds community, the other one which has been really collecting information so that we can change or bring some modification to our tenure and promotion processes so that faculty are encouraged to get involved. So our goals basically are to develop these two aspects of the program. But as you can see that this type of program must outlast one individual's tenure or one administrator's tenure. This has to become part of our fabric if we really want to keep the entrepreneurial flame going. 
Well, it sounds like with what you have planned, you're going to keep that flame roaring. And I know that your work doesn't just stop at EFA, but you also have other interests, such as in horticulture and genomics. Uh, how did you get interested in those? That's basically a professor, a basically a trained scientist. These uh, this EFA is probably an inspiration because I kind of grew up in a in a household where both my parents were medical doctors. I saw them solve problems and benefit people around them. So EFA is just an extension of that goal. And I, the reason I became a plant biologist or an agricultural scientist is also because of that. That you want to impact the society, and in fact, uh, the Interesting part is that my parents wanted me to be a medical doctor, but I noticed that, you know, food as medicine is better. If you can have healthy food, that's better. So that's where I really got very much interested in doing research on plants and agricultural crops. And then being in the horticulture department right now, I get to work on very interesting crops. Some of them, are, we are the leaders. Our state is the leader in producing such as apples, pears, cherries. So these are some of the crops that I work with. So my, my leadership role in the, you basically were asking about the horticulture department earlier as well, that leadership role is also kind of an outcome of that. How do we serve each other? How do we support each other in meeting goals uh, that we all bring to the table as part of this university system? I know that you're the head of the genomics lab. What does that lab study exactly and how did it start? My, the, my research program uh, covers uh, genomics, uh, horticultural genomics, and uh, that started in 2006. So just continuing with the last story, while I was growing up, I, I noticed my parents giving out, uh, you know, free medication to people who are malnutrition and all. I had one question of them, you know, why don't we give them nutritious food rather than medication? So that's where my interest really comes in. And as you know, horticultural crops that we grow in the state, such as, you know, I, I just mentioned pears, apples, and cherries, they are they're chock full of nutrition not just calories, but they have some, uh, all the multi-minerals multi and vitamins you need to stay healthy. So my interest has basically originated that. And uh, before uh, coming to Washington State University, I told you I start, finished my last year of my PhD at Rutgers. I continued as a postdoctoral scientist at Rutgers and then at University of Central Florida, followed by my some work at University of Florida. When this position opened up here to provide research genomics based research support to horticultural crops. And that's how I got this opportunity to start my program in 2006. And we study some of the pressing problems our industries have. Uh, for example, how do we regulate ripening so that we reduce post-harvest wastage? How do we fight diseases by breeding better crops? How do we change the architecture of the trees so that we can modernize our production systems? It's all focusing on some very practical problems However, we, we conduct any type of research that is needed, fundamental or applied, to address those questions. Now, what research have you done exactly with the variety of plants and fruits that you've worked with? Yeah, so in the last 14 years that we've existed, uh, we've actually uh, been, uh, I have to first, you know, give credit to my team. We've all come together to do this type of work. And in 14 years, you know, you don't keep doing the same things. Things kind of evolve. First, we were the first ones to start sequencing the genomes of apple, pear, and cherry. In fact, uh, our lab has led those projects uh, in the U.S. These are some international projects. We've also done a lot of work on peach and almonds, although we don't grow almonds here, but you know they're all part of the same family, apple, pear, cherry, peach, almond. They all belong to the rose family. 
and we also and strawberries as well. So we kind of have figured out the genomes, and the second phase of that is utilizing that information to identify genes underlying some of these critical problems that our industries face, some physiological disorders or ripening-related issues. So now we are translating that information into a crop improvement. I collaborate a lot with plant breeders who, who utilize that information or can utilize that information to develop new crops. We also use tools of biotechnology such as gene editing to improve some of the existing crops. So we are trying to get in that direction so that we can rapidly develop improved crops for our farmers. What are some results or conclusions that you've drawn from your work here at WSU or just in general, specifically to your work? I will probably give you two examples. One is that we've been really working on understanding some ripening anomalies in pears. How do we keep the pears? How do we ripen them so that the customer likes them? In that process, we've actually discovered a new pathway of ripening, which we have patented uh, as well. Um, this is a, you know, this is how discoveries happen. And so that's one example of conclusion. The work is ongoing. You've discovered new pathways. Now we are busy characterizing it and writing proposals to fund that type of work. And the second one, which is interesting, is you know we also, as public scientists, try to look for what can we develop for our communities of growers that will give them the edge or competitive edge or keep them economically healthy you will not just physically healthy, but economically healthy as well. So we started on a project uh, trying to understand how one of the favorite crops or forage crops in this part of the world, huckleberries, how we can use their flavor and their genetics to improve blueberries. So that's another project we've kind of started working on and we're excited about that project. It's it's a work in progress, but you know, you ask conclusions. I mean, science never concludes because of one question always leads to another, but I think products can come out as we go along. You know, I've always said the better the blueberries, the better the pancakes. So I, t- I totally promote you and what you're trying to do with bettering fruit. Exactly. Has there been any projects that you've really been proud of that are in the process right now or have that you've completed? Yeah, as I, as I mentioned, so there are a couple of projects. I mean, there's not just one. Uh, one of them is we solved the problems of, we kind of developed a soil-free method of multiplying plants for the tree fruit industry. And we also utilize some of the genomic tools to help industry bring quality control into their process. So for example, we want to make sure that what we are planting is true to type. So that was the first spin-out company that I formed from my lab. So that was an outcome, an output, which also generated about 180 jobs in the Washington economy. Sadly, the company failed, but we have another company that has started to carry the work forward. So that's one project. And then I just told you about the ripening project that we are very excited about, which can actually enable the development of fresh sliced pears. That product does not exist in the market currently. I'm sure when you've been on the plains, you've only seen fresh sliced apples, but we really want to create opportunities for pears as well. That's uh, the patented ripening compound that we have, which can enable the production of fresh sliced pears. And beyond that, I also wanted to speak, there's another product which seems hidden in plain sight, and that is the people, right? I think the graduate students who have finished their PhDs and gone on to do bigger and better things, I think that's a product our university can be really proud of or point to. And then also undergraduate students. I've been very fortunate to work with over 100 undergraduate students in the last 14 years, working, doing research with us. And they don't come from just the sciences. We've had people from computer science, arts, physics, attorney, uh, people who are trying to major in law. I mean, so we've had folks from all walks of life come together and create new things and develop new things. So we are really, I mean, that's another product or 
if you would, project, if you will, I personally feel very, is very important. And I think that's, I just want to make sure that we don't lose sight that we are not just focusing on what we can quantify in that sense. But, you know, this is how we really enhance our economy by graduating very high quality individuals from our programs. That makes absolute sense to me. And given what the work that you're doing, do you know what else is in store for the genomics labs future? You know, part of it is science, but now we are, as we have discovered some new pathways and new processes, we are figuring out what does that entail, characterize these new things, which will obviously provide, which will provide some training to great, to grads, future scientists. But other than that, you know, I just mentioned about the Huckleberry project. Huckleberries are foraged and sometimes rather brutally, which destroys our ecosystem. So we are hoping to create a blueberry-huckleberry hybrid. That's one area we're looking at. Another problem that we hope to address with the outputs coming from the program is developing a dwarfing rootstock for production of pears. Uh, Just for the uninitiated, all our apples, pears, cherries, grapes are grafted onto different type of plant called rootstock. It's still a grape if you're grafting a grape on a grape, but their role is to provide resistance to diseases or change the architecture of the plant. That revolution has already happened in apples and uh, cherries. In fact, the apple industry went from a $250 million industry to a $4 billion industry today just because of dwarfing rootstocks, which also enabled bringing the new cultivars to the market. Pears are sort of uh, frozen in time. Some of the orchards that we have are 80 to 100 years old. So we, we are developing some dwarfing rootstocks for pears. But these are some of the projects I'm excited about. And we just had a infusion of three new PhD students. So we are really excited about working with them as well. Well, that's awesome. Do you see it developing into something bigger here at the university? Well, I think uh, sometimes people think bigger is better, but uh, frankly, uh, we just want to be able to keep doing what we're doing at this at the scale we are, uh, because science can be expensive and take very long years, and we just want to make sure that we have uh, some short-term deliverables, medium-term deliver- deliverables, and long-term. So I'm really excited to continue genomics uh, research in the area of horticulture that we're continuing, and very grateful for the opportunity I have to do that at WSU. All right. Into our next question. How has industry helped you with your work? Well, my simple answer is I wouldn't be anywhere without the industry. So when I speak of industry, I'm speaking about the horticultural industry. Our state grows over 300 horticultural crops, for example. And it is learning from them. I just wanted to share a story. When I came in for the interview also, uh, there were folks, growers, who were sitting in the audience. And that was something very strange for me. I said, wow, I thought I would be speaking to scientists. But there were growers and farmers sitting in the, these seminars that I was presenting. And I enjoyed our interaction so much so that when I started my program in the first five years, even now, I traveled quite a bit, not during the pandemic, but I traveled quite a bit interacting with our farmers. They are, they've become family. They're not just a group of people, growers or, or folks, but they have, they've become family. In fact, I've had the pleasure of staying with them. They've had they've come to Pullman and stayed with me, different areas. In fact, it's not and it's not just limited to Washington; it's the entire West Coast. It's been fascinating working with them, understanding their issues, not just from one perspective of science, but from the perspective of market forces as well. If you try to take out fruit out of controlled atmosphere storage at a certain time, you need to be watchful if there are imports coming from other countries, which can change pricing. So we start understanding this whole value chain, and I could not be doing anything of use if they had not taken me under their wing and helped me 
And if I were to put on my business hat, this is sort of an opportunity all of us at a land-grant university have because all of us work for a certain stakeholder group, community group. We have access to that proverbial market research. You know, how, how do you de define your program? How do you make it relevant? Well, ask the people you're working for. We've been called to work for these folks that we've chosen to work for as well. And I think that interaction has been extremely helpful. They've taught me so much about areas that I probably not, would have not thought of had I not left my lab and visited with them in their orchards, in their packing houses. And so that, that's been the, one of the most fulfilling and satisfying part of this job. Well, that's good to know. And if people want to get involved with EFA or your lab, how can they do so? It's very simple. Call me, <laughs> drop an email, and we would uh, be more than willing to have a conversation. Uh, usually, I like to have face-to-face -face meetings, which unfortunately are not feasible just yet, but definitely having a, having a conversation would be the best way, or emailing uh, me as well. I, I'm assuming you'll be sharing my details like, along with the podcast. We absolutely will. And is there anything that we haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about? Uh, yeah, I, I just want to comment a little bit about what I've learned uh, about innovation through this process of the last 14 years, working with so many undergraduate students. I mean, and this is just my little learning. I'm sure everybody out there is far more knowledgeable, knowledgeable about these things than I am. I think we as scientists sometimes get too busy in what, what I call the hamster wheel effect, where we just keep doing the same old, same old, but I think we need to infuse new ideas. We need to break our silos and interact with folks uh, across, the, across disciplines only then innovation happen, happens. And as part of that, you know, in the EFA program, for example, I am no longer the sole leader. I requested my colleague who is who's a faculty in fine arts and requested him to co-lead the program with me recently. And I think the reason that I kind of consider this whole concept, we need to create the primordial soup where ideas collide and new ideas emerge or people collide, come together with different perspectives and we can really solve any kind of problem that faces us today. So that's what I wanted to say. And, and undergrads and grad students have a big role to play in that. So hopefully we'll be on the other side of this pandemic soon so that we can all interact and, and, and really continue to solve global problems. Agree. Well, Ahmed, I think that's all of our questions. Thank you so much for coming on our, on our podcast. Really, it's been really awesome being able to learn about you and the EFA and all the awesome work that you're doing in genomics. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. And if any of our listeners are interested in getting involved with EFA or the Genomics Lab, you can always go to efa.wsu.edu or genomics.wsu.edu. I'm Luke Walker, and this is Inside Industry with IREO.